Welcome to The New Exchange, a podcast series that explores how everyone has a story to tell. My name is Kent Grandpierre, and in a lot of ways, today's episode feels like I'm returning to my roots. For those who don't know, I got my start in music through music journalism, writing about artists and their albums for blogs, newspapers, and magazines. The thrill of it for me was being able to recommend something that I really enjoyed, knowing that the person would be unfamiliar with it, you know? I have a feeling that will be the case with you and today's guest, which is Tor, frontman of Dutch rock band Destat. Man, how would I even go about describing these guys? Honestly, they're fucking bonkers in the best way. They're a wonky group that are truly daring in how they approach music, with the ability to jump from brash textures to melodic wrist bites at a moment's notice. Since 2009, they've released five albums, produced groundbreaking music videos, have played a slew of major music festivals, and have toured extensively with acts like Muse, The Rolling Stones, and holy fuck, what do you do next? Well, interestingly enough, the band asked themselves that exact question during the pandemic, and the eventual answer was to both record and release music in a different way. Their latest project is Red, Yellow, Blue, which features the band releasing three new songs at one go, with each song exploring a different side of the stat's diverse sonic palette. So far, it's become a beautiful antidote to the idea of compromise. And that's what I really wanted to chat with Tor about. But a big thing I was aware of going into this is how you as a listener could do with an intro into Distat. And it was such a joy getting to craft this episode with that in mind. These guys are a next level band, and trust me when I say that you're going to love them. Before we start, I should mention that Distat will be embarking on an extensive European tour starting on May 13th in Belgium. Be sure to visit thestat.net for tour dates. Oh, and another important thing to know about Destat is that humor rests at the center of everything that they do. These guys are so fucking funny, and I'm happy to share that humor is a major hallmark of today's episode. This is the new exchange with Destat. Enjoy. Recording. In progress. <laughs> so I know that this is a big way to start, but when I read about this new project of yours, the big word that stood out to me was the word reset, that this undertaking of red, yellow, and blue is a way for the band to reset its path in real time. And like, yeah, tell me, what feelings come to your mind when you even hear that word reset? Hmm. What comes to mind? I guess when I think about reset, I, I actually think about every every time we try to make something new kind of feels like a reset for some reason, because you have to rethink. I I always have to rethink, uh, not everything, but a lot. Like, why am I doing this? What am I doing? What am I doing it for? What do I want to do? Am I doing what I want to do? So, uh, yeah, that's what comes to mind. I, I feel, and I, I think you kind of hit the, what's the word? Sorry, I'm um, Dutch, so I have to get used to speaking English again. No, yeah, what is it? The, you hit the nail with the hammer. Hit the nail. Oh, yeah, the hammer on the hill. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, that, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Red, Yellow, Blue is definitely all about that because it's kind of rethinking how we want to continue as a band and what we want to do and release. And, yeah, it's definitely a, a new way to look at ourselves. So reset is a good word for it, yeah. And, you know, before we talk about the present, I want to talk about a bit about the past, because 
this start started out as a solo project by you and has evolved into a band where each member distinctively contributes to the overall sound. I think that's one of my favorite things about whenever I listen to the music was like, it's one thing to hear every instrument. It's another where each instrument has its own kind of characteristic and its own traits. So what was it like for you when you realized that this project could be more because of the input of others? Because I imagine that kind of correlates to where we are today. Uh, I, I kind of knew from the beginning that I didn't want to be alone, you know? The, the first record, which feels like a lifetime ago, is me by myself mostly, but I was des desperately trying to sound like a band, you know? <laughs> uh, made to make the drum sound like a drummer, uh, which were samples at the time, actually. But I really tried to make it sound like these were some people playing together, you know, but it was just me. So I, I, I always wanted to be in a band. I always wanted, to, and, I, and I was in bands, but um, I also wanted to have my own vision and try to make a record for myself and see if I could. So that's the first album. But I, when, when that record was almost finished, I, I just wanted to uh, get in touch with my friends and try to see what happens and uh when we played live and from that moment on basically the first rehearsal with the five of us was like oh this works really well and i kind of regretted not recording an album with them you know yeah from from that point it, it, we we hit it off and the first shows we kind of did it it just it all uh we we were j just very lucky i guess uh it all fell into place and um from that moment on it was ex exactly like you said the, the second record I just wanted to focus on trying to capture the five of us. And, and yeah, and that's the idea of the second album. And from that, that point on, we kind of focused on evolving ourselves a little bit. And everybody did, I think. Yeah. And that's yeah. what you hear. Do you know what's really interesting? Are you familiar that with um, Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters, it was almost a bit of like a similar thing. Not like exactly because of the circumstance, but it's interesting to, I think I read an interview years ago where he said, how when he realized it was that he always like he was in the headspace i'm doing this by myself but it's like oh i actually always want to be in a band no matter what and it's just interesting that even like countries apart different like times in life you can that kind of spirit of what a band is can kind of oversee everything yeah and i always think people kind of forget that being in a band is not just uh making music together but it's it's everything like the whole you have to be in a group to survive, if you know what I mean. You know, it's yeah. it's like a tribe. It's like we are five brothers. We're not really, I, I we're definitely friends, but it it definitely feels more like family. So when you're, you know, we keep our we keep each other uh, straight. We uh, we we help out. Everybody's got his own part to play, and I'm not I'm not jealous jealous of any artist that is a solo artist. We who has to. You know, they have band members and they play with them, but they kind of play for them as well. You know, they they get a paycheck and uh, it's just different. It's you feel alone. I, I have plenty of friends who are solo artists and and have a band with, who they tour with. But it, I'm, I'm definitely not jealous of them because they've they feel a lot more pressure. And we're just five, five brothers who who share the pressure. Yeah. Uh, and 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 share the uh, the joys you know uh it's it's a it's i can definitely recommend just being in a group uh, but it's also hard man you know uh you, you have to be lucky in uh in that whole group dynamic thing it's not it's not it's 
yeah, there, there are plenty of bands who don't survive uh, a couple of years, you know. And I and you know, going further within that, I mean, I feel like it can't be overstated how the most difficult thing about making a band work is just exactly that, like that element of having multiple people on the same page. I mean, just think about like relationships, work relationships, marriages, like all these things. It's like the idea that you could have a form of dedication to a singular vision that's ever evolving, but the vision of the band. And to think it's been nearly 16 years since this all started. I mean, God, like, I like this is obviously the golden question, but like for you personally, you can't answer for the band, but for you personally, what do you feel like you attribute that longevity to in the context of everyone still wanting to do this? Because that's like, that's just, it's insane, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel insane, but um, it is actually quite special when you look at it from a bird's eye view. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, it's, it's hard to, um, if I'm completely honest, I do think a big part of it, what, what makes it work is luck, uh, is that we happen to be five individuals who are very different from each other. It's like, we're kind of like the Spice Girls or the Backstreet Boys in a way, you know, where we... <laughs> Although with the Spice Girls, they're very much marketed as different people together forming this band, but we are actually quite different from each other. But we have happen to be so lucky that we kind of have a per, uh, when we interact with each other, we have this perfect group dynamic where if some people are, let's say two of us are annoyed with each other, we have another one who kind of straightens, straightens uh, them out and is reasonable while the other two are not and yeah it's just key it's just uh and that's i think that's the most important thing if you want to stay together as a group you have to you have to be lucky in that sense and and all and the rest will will come and i think also a big big part of it is of course having enough money <laughs> uh, which is which is unfortunately a big part of it because when you start uh, not having enough money to survive uh, or, you know, pay a rent, then everything kind of becomes fucked. It's uh, then then it's it's easy to make bad decisions. And when you start making bad decisions for money or um, artistically, it's it starts to kind of degrade. And, you know, so I think money is also a big part of it. We've always we've we've just had enough. And um, so we can just keep keep making choices based on uh on art instead of money and sometimes of course th th there's a balance in there but i think that's also you know honestly quite a big part of it as well yeah i appreciate the honesty in that because you know it's quite an interesting thing if you think about because i've um the for some of my background um i'm american but i've spent a lot of time in the uk and also in uh the netherlands and um i have a lot of oh, friends really? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Like in my childhood and also like in my adulthood. And um, I love it there. And I the, the music's incredible. But I feel comfortable saying this, having like this window where it's like, I think in Western society, like um, here in America, also a little bit in the Netherlands, it's kind of like money is a weird thing to not be discussed. But yet it's the thing that kind of runs our lives. And it's almost like this kind of thing where if you bring it up, you can almost imagine people kind of ducking, looking like, oh, did they bring money up? But it's just it's just the truth about life, isn't it? Yeah, no, but I completely agree. I hate talking about it. But if you ask the question, you know, I got to answer the question. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but it's 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 funny. It's funny about money and um, being an artist because it's definitely uh, it's definitely one of the taboo subjects. It's it's something artists don't want to talk about. It's it's something nobody wants to talk about when when and and yeah when when music or art is discussed. And that's one of the, one of the reasons why I think most people think. Uh, it's easy to it's easy to it's yeah most people think when you're on tv you're rich or something you know yeah um and but the whole mystery around being an artist kind of um adds to that people you know musicians like to be mysterious in that sense and not talk about uh the money side of things as well so that's kind of what keeps everything that way i guess if that makes sense no, it totally does. And, you know, just jumping back into the overall dynamic of the band, I mean, I'm glad you brought up uh, this whole kind of correlation of like the Spice Girls and Backstreet Boys, because, you know, one of my favorite <laughs> things, this kind of relates, it does relate to your band, though, because like my favorite thing about your band, and it's the thing that I've seen evolved and the thing that I genuinely enjoy is that, I mean, let's be honest, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that Distot are a band that revel in absurdity. There are moments within your songs that are clearly there to turn heads. And I wonder, in that vein, when you think about songwriting, what role do you feel humor plays within our lives? Because to be honest, when I knew I was going to be talking to you, that was probably like the first thing I thought about. I think for me, it's important to have fun uh, and, and also... Um, I think humor is great because it kind of, if you use it in music, it kind of sh- makes you almost unstaffelijk is the Dutch word for it. You're yeah. like, you're, you can't be touched. Uh, if uh, you make fun of yourself, nobody can make fun of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, yeah, I, I like that position for some reason. I like, I like it when we, we can be tough on stage, but also make fun of ourselves or make fun of anything and i just i just like it uh and and i I just like weird shows as well so um we have this song called pikachu where me and rocco who plays uh keys and also sings he plays everything but where we do like a weird dance together uh it's a super simple dance where we like sidestep that's the whole thing but we have this whole choreography. You can find it on, on YouTube. But uh, it's, it's stupid. It's super dumb. But, bec- <laughs> but because we do it seriously, it's just a super weird part of the show, which is actually, yeah, like you said, it's kind of turning heads. And you see, you, especially people who don't, know, who don't know us and see us for the first time in a festival, you, you can see all those faces like, what the fuck? What the fuck's going on? I just saw that just five minutes ago, I saw this tough rock band and all of a sudden they're doing a stupid dance, (laughs) which which seems to be like a German dance song or whatever. And yeah, I think I I just I just love that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say why, but it it works for me. And and that's the whole that's so that's what I always try to do. I just try to make something that I would love to see. Uh, That's the that's the end game, you know. Yeah, completely. I should mention, um, yeah, like, I mean, I feel like in the context of YouTube and your band, it's like quite a treasure trove. Like one of my favorite things to show friends um, is a, the performance that you guys did at Lowlands, particularly with that song, Help Yourself, because I, I yeah, love yeah. 
just the way that whole structure is and the theatrics and just the scale, but just the sheer silliness that's also been able, that was able to be, you know, embedded within that performance. It's just like, what a great, I feel like that's become a great way to introduce people to your band, at least for me, in a funny way. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that song grew out to be that. We, we had this, because Help Yourself is basically about, you know, uh, being there for yourself only. But it, at a certain point, I had the idea of, I asked our visual guys who did the visuals for us at the time, is it possible to have a camera on stage and film myself and see that on the big screen behind us? You know, the big LED screen we had, we had on tour. And they said, I, I don't know, let's find out. So we got this cheap camera and, and that became the thing of that song, you know, to, hold, to, do, to do the whole song for the camera, not for the audience, but the audience could look at me at the yeah. screen. <laughs> uh and and it, it it got this it's a really weird thing when you do that because i was just performing for the camera and i at at the first part of the song uh at low lines i didn't do that but at most shows i did i just was with my back to the audience and just sing into the camera for the first part of the song and then i grabbed the camera and i walk around stage and look into the camera while the audience is looking at me doing this and at at the screen seeing my face it's just it's just kind of strange because the audience is in front of me, but I'm singing toward the camera and then I'm start filming the audience and they sing into the camera. It's just like we're doing this re- weird performance for a camera, which isn't even recording anything. <laughs> uh, but but it's 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 so much about the whole selfie thing, you know, I was. Yeah. So it, it, that song became some something much bigger than it was on the record at first. And especially at Lowlands, which was a huge show, uh, a lot of people were there, I think 50,000 at least. So it's, it's yeah. Yeah, that, that, that song became just like a little art installation in itself. Yeah, um, yeah something that grew over time. You know, um, just going, I think this might be the last thing I ask you about humor particularly, but I, I am genuinely curious, and this is quite another big question, but I'm pretty sure we could explore it. Have you have you felt like you ever found yourself in a situation where you wrote a line and you found yourself thinking that adding humor would help in conveying the sentiment more, particularly probably in an emotional way? Because I think that's something to point out that we're talking about humor, but there's also a lot of um, realism in how you talk about feelings, even if it's very pointed and very simple, that I think helps people really connect to the music. Oh, yeah, thanks. That's it's cool to hear. Um, sometimes course. it's really hard. Sometimes it's great for someone like you to tell me what they think I make because <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I don't. I don't really know, you know. And yeah. it helps me uh, think about me and helps me find out what I actually what I what I'm actually doing, you know. But yeah. I, I do think what I do a lot in the song in a lot of songs is kind of sing from the perspective of someone else. And usually that someone else is some someone I I generally maybe not like or think is ridiculous or doing something ridiculous, but it really works well, especially when you have a song that um that's kind of loud or in your face. Like the song Kitty Kitty is is kind of sung from uh, the Trump perspective, I guess. The Donald Trump perspective. And and I have a lot of songs who are, are kind of like that. And and but then you you also get to be kind of funny because you can exaggerate a lot of stuff and it it, it kind of works lyrically for me. I don't know. Is that an answer to your question? I don't. I forgot what your question was even. 
No, it kind of does. I mean, go, like, well, we could even use Kitty Kitty as an example because that's one of my favorite songs of yours. And you guys have an amazing video for that as well. That like kind of it's interesting. Earlier, we we're talking about like how the your band, each band member has their own distinct personality. And I feel like that video conveys that really well. But in the context of the songwriting, that's one of those songs that you listen to. And probably within the first verse, you're kind of thinking to yourself, at least for me, it's kind of like, what is he even talking about? And then by the second verse and some of the lines that you repeat, it's like, oh, it's like he's talking about actually doing something. Like there's an actual method to what's being conveyed. So I guess that kind of answers my question that arguably translating that wouldn't have happened with, without the humor in a way. Yeah, probably. I wouldn't know how else to do it, actually. If, if I would take it super seriously, it would, it would probably sound too pompous or is that a word even uh yes sound too, yeah it's maybe it, if you make it too serious it will be too dark and and probably not work i think i don't know i don't know how else to do it well you know i mentioned before we hit the recorder i was talking about how i got into your music it was through the lovely guys and the band editors and funny enough even though i was familiar with your music for for a while my proper entryway in regards to your albums like the first proper album i listened to is actually the fifth one bubblegum and i feel like that's an album that's propelled the band in a way that's truly distinct and what's special about that is the fact that this is a body of work that's full of character and i wonder when you reflect on bubblegum what do you feel it revealed to you about the band because i feel it kind of presented the band in a different way to people i wonder if it taught you something differently seeing how people reacted to it i think with every album we just try to make something that we actually yearn for uh that we because usually that's around the time that we just got sick of what we've been doing the past two years mm. and it's always kind of a resp response on what we've already done but with every record it's it starts to get harder to make a new one because you've already made so much you know um and with bubblegum for me the funny thing about bubblegum is that i guess it didn't do as well in our in our own country in holland uh, it 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 did it did great but it didn't uh, resonate as much as the record before that which was o uh, but i did notice that it resonated a lot more outside of holland and the netherlands and and i'm not sure why that is but that the funny thing is like the things you tell me are always news to me because i it's really hard to tell <laughs> when you're in the middle of the storm like the eye of the storm yeah. and, and and you are actually the band it's hard to say it's hard to uh, to say what you are actually doing for for some weird reason and this might sound insane but we made all this stuff but it's when you have made it all and you're in the center of it it's hard to to tell what it actually is and that's why i always like to talk to people like you or anybody who's there listening to it and actually thinking about it because you kind of tell me what it is what we do <laughs> for some <laughs> weird reason uh, yeah. it's it's uh so if you feel like bubblegum has has made it more diverse or whatever i believe you you know um for us it was just a, the thing we we made at that time and and we always try to make something that's different from the other records we've done so it's all it's all only just natural. Yeah, I have to say I appreciate the um well, I appreciate the appreciation on your part. It's it's quite rare for I think an artist to appreciate journalism in that sense. But also in what you just described, funnily enough, 
in a very different context, but uh, in the context, well, it's kind of meta, really. So you're on this podcast. And for me, I've done podcasting for several years now. And in a weird way, I can kind of relate to what you're describing in a very functional sense where you put so much work into making a thing and then you put it out into the world. And the, the way I've kind of internalized it is that so much thought goes into putting it out that until people talk to me about it, I almost forget that it exists in the world. And then someone will say something. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, that that exists. Exactly. Yeah, hmm. that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny that it's like, you know, that kind of translates into other mediums as well. Yeah, it's super strange. It, it absolutely um, is. Yeah, but it's, but it's nice to have. Uh, actually, that's the, yeah, that's the great thing about talking to journalists and people like that who uh, they, they can right after a, uh, a record is done or a couple of songs are released, you get to talk to them and they, they just tell you what you made. Yeah. Because for that, you, you have made something, but it's, you know how it is when you make music. A certain point you think it's fantastic what you've just done the next day you think ah this is completely boring as fuck you know <laughs> uh this is way too long this song or this is this 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 sentence does make doesn't make any sense whatsoever and the next day you could be talking to a reporter who is crazy about that specific sentence and that's a cool thing and sometimes it's negative you know and sometimes you realize that ah i should have taken less time on this or more time uh, I should have taken, yeah, worked longer on this or whatever. Um, but that's that's the cool thing about it. You can you can make something and then you can make something again. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's it never stops. That's why you just have to keep moving, keep moving forward, and release stuff. And, yeah. and you can forget about the stuff that didn't work. That's exactly Beautiful. right. And you know, before we talk about the present, I feel like I have to ask you one more thing about the past because I feel like it's interconnected with where we are today. And um, Tell me, when you, when you reflect on after releasing and touring Bubblegum, where do you feel the band was, creatively speaking? Uh, we, were, um, we were great. We just, that, that show you were talking about, the Lowland show, was kind of the, the highlight of our uh, career at that point, if I'm honest. It was in 2019, and uh, Bubblegum was just released, and... Actually, we got asked to headline the Lowlands Festival. People who don't know, that's basically the, the biggest, coolest festival we have in the Netherlands. And usually Dutch bands don't headline Lowlands um, because the, the big international people do. Like, uh, you know, that, that year uh, the Prodigy was going to headline. And as you might know, uh, Keith Flynn died. Oh, yes. Uh, so, so they had to find a new headliner for that year and we got to asked to fill in so it was a big opportunity for us and we we designed this whole show for lowland specifically and for that tent basically the main stage so we really put out all of our creativity in making this uh, specific show and we did we had this uh, flying catwalk and <laughs> all these uh elevators uh, one like an, a lift on stage and a lift on uh, in in the crowd, and we try to make this show as 3D as possible. Um, and I think for us that was uh, that was definitely a highlight of our career because, yeah, we just did our last record and we got to do this huge show, and a lot of people were very excited with the show as as were we. So we 
after that year ended, um, yeah, we we were we were happy, you know, we were um, creatively uh, doing well. Not only creatively, we were just doing well. So when the whole pandemic hit, we were about to work on new material anyway. So it wasn't the worst timing ever, you know. If you're gonna have a pandemic, let's have it when we're about to write some new uh, material. And we arrive at Red, Yellow, Blue, and uh, there'll be an intro to this that will explain some things, but since people have been listening for a while, I'll gladly talk about what that is. And Red, Yellow, Blue is a new thing that the band is doing, where instead of releasing another album, your band will be releasing a gigantic collection of songs throughout 2022. Um, You'll be releasing three songs, uh, three new songs in bursts throughout the year. And I read how in many ways, these songs are meant to reflect the colors of Red, Yellow, and Blue, hence the title. And can you talk a bit about that idea and what informed that concept? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, um, I I was walking around with this idea for quite quite a long time, but never really found the, the time or the, the right place to start working on it. And um, the idea was kind of to embrace our diversity as a band, I guess. We've been we've we've made five albums now, so for me it felt the right moment to try and kind of do something else. I always like the idea of um, I when I you know when I make music I always I'm very visual. I always see things when I hear music, so colors um, naturally are very make sense to me to combine with with the music. So uh, the idea was to kind of split ourselves up into three colors which are red, yellow, and blue. And together, you know, they are, they are the old school primary colors of uh, the, the Bauhaus movement and the Stell. And they would say, you know, you can make every color with these three colors, which in fact, I don't think it's actually true, but uh, that's what we uh, got, got teached in school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think nowadays it's uh, yellow, magenta, and cyan. Um, you know, what's in the printers and stuff. But uh, anyway, doesn't really matter because uh, red, <laughs> yellow and blue works for me. But uh, the idea kind of is like we split ourselves up into these three parts and every color represents a part of us. So red is the more aggressive uh, in your face uh, music we make. Yellow is the more fun, danceable, quirky stuff. And blue is the more personal, introvert, uh, melancholic, I guess, spacey music. Um, but as I say this, you know, the whole pro- the idea of the project is that it's not finished. We're making it as we're releasing it. So it might actually change. Um, oh. But that, that's kind of the idea of what we started with. So, and the cool thing about doing it, doing it like this and releasing three songs at the same time a red one a a blue one a yellow one is that you get with one release you get to show your diverse nature Um, but also when you're making a new song you think okay let's make a red red song you know let's make an aggressive one you automatically kind of move your boundaries if you will you can automatically start thinking okay how aggressive can we go and it's like you're making these three little playlists, like three mixtapes within your own mind, uh, where you start looking for 
the most aggressive thing you can actually make for the red one and what's you know we've made a couple of yellow tracks but you can you you automatically start thinking okay let's make something that's more funky let's make a super yellow song in our heads you know and with blue it's the same thing the first song we released uh for blue was what goes let go and that's that's a song we probably wouldn't have ever released if we've made it on the previous album because it probably wouldn't fit the album you know what i mean it's it's because it's too far from the rest of the tracks but now we we've we've created these three things where we these three colors and within that color you can actually go crazier and and make something that's normally wouldn't fit into your palette if you will so that's the whole cool creatively it's it's a great decision to make but when we had the idea, I think our, our, every, all the people we work with, with were very excited about it. But it's also kind of everybody is used to an album, especially yeah. in, in, uh, in our world, you know, of the alternative music. I, I think with hip hop and pop music, it's, it makes sense to release singles and maybe not even an album. But with, with our genre, with bands and stuff, Everybody kept asking, okay, okay, let, yeah, we're going to release these three songs and then maybe n- another three songs. So when is the album going to be finished? You know, <laughs> everybody kept, you know, reporters or um, even, you know, label people or publishers, all the people in the music industry automatically are working towards a point where you start releasing the whole body of work, you know, the like packaging or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people think about packaging and so that's the fun thing about it because people assume that we have all the songs ready and finished, you know, we're just releasing them slowly, but it, that's not the case. We're actually uh releasing new songs in February and we don't know when the other when new songs will be released after that. We have to decide, you know, and we don't know which songs it, it will be and we have some songs ready but they're not ready they they don't have any lyrics yet or still have to be worked on or have to be mixed or whatever so that's the cool thing you know it's me talking for a long time i'm sorry but no it's okay i'm excited i'm still excited about the project i guess (laughs) yeah well i was gonna say i mean obviously having an idea like this does present a lot of um i think innate logistical challenges but just like the overall excitement that you have shows that it's worth it. But, you know, tell me this throughout this talk, we've highlighted a lot about the longevity of the band and how special that is. And the fact that you're all on the same page and still want to do this. But I am curious, what were those initial conversations like amongst yourselves when the idea materialized, when it was basically like, Hey, let's not do an album. Cause respectfully, I imagine not everyone was immediately on board or were they? Well, I must say, everyone, everyone was immediately on board. I'm sorry to break to break this to you, but it, we were just <laughs> like one. We're the best band in the world, man. We're on the same page all the time. Uh, no, but uh, actually, no. Everybody was excited about it because, yeah, like I uh, said, we've already done five albums. We can also we can always do a sixth one, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this was actually just a. I kind of, uh, yeah, I, I explained the idea and everybody was like, yeah, let's try. But we also had time, you know, we could also abandon the idea uh, anytime. Um, mm. But we, 
as we were creating, we still liked it. And actually, everybody around us liked the idea, our management, our, our label. Um, but yeah, the, the, like you said, the logistical part of it. As you, as you talk about it, you kind of realize that everybody has a different idea about it, what it should be. You know, that's the fun thing about doing something like this. But within the band, man, we were, we were definitely on the same page. It's just, uh, yeah, I have nothing. That was it. <laughs> that's beautiful, though, you know. Um, so let, let's talk about some of the music, because um, a song that deeply surprised me, and this talk should be coming out, I want to say, like, uh, like late March, um, probably April. So it's relative to bring up this song that hasn't been released yet. It's OK, because um, what I wanted to ask you about is one of the blue songs, and that is a song called One Day. And you, you've elaborated on this in regards to what this project's allowing you to do, release songs that you might never release. And I feel this is a really big example because this is very much a different side of this dot. And I wonder, like, you ex you've explained it a little bit, but kind of expound in the context of this song. Does it feel for you that way that this is such a very different side of the band? And what are those ways? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, one of the, with One Day, it's like, there are a couple of things happening when when we um decided let's do this red yellow and blue thing i also really wanted to work with a lot of different people uh, i kind of had the idea to go all across the world and go to new york and la uh, london and hang out with people i always uh were was in touch with but never actually got to work with with people and write songs with them but that was kind of the idea that also we kind of broadened our uh, our minds creatively with the red, yellow, and blue thing, but also just work with different people, which we kind of never really did. I'm saying this because, of course, the pandemic hit, so that whole thing didn't happen. But I, but I did still have the ambition to work with different people. And for one day, I, uh, I, I had, uh, I worked with. Uh, this dude called uh, Freek van Workum, mm -hmm. and he was actually my high school friend. Uh, we were in uh, in our first band together. We we kind of lost touch uh, later, but he turned out to be a Grammy nominated uh, producer <laughs> and had has mul multiple multiple platinum uh, records and gold records in the U.S. because he uh, makes a lot of beats for uh, uh, people like uh, Tech Nine and Two Chains and uh stuff like that uh so it's but he still lives in in the same city as i do so we always kind of kept in touch and we decided let's try to make something together and that was kind of the and 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 that's what what was what one day has become and the cool thing about this song is is that you're right because it's it's a song that's also kind of out of our comfort zone in a way and that's one of the reasons i really wanted to release it because i i feel that it's good you know I really like it, and but it has some choices in there that I would probably would not make when I was writing if I would write this on my own. So, uh, Freak has has a unique uh, way of writing and producing, and I kind of just we were just together in the studio, and I, I started singing, and he had this uh, sample of he made something on the fly with his laptop, and I imported it into my session. And made the beat and just started singing and he said yeah oh, you should do this or maybe sing that and i just uh went with the flow with him and this is what came out and 
there's just some choices in there that I wouldn't make myself, like, like I said. And yeah, it was just for me, it was a, a it was a cool moment because I, I embraced the cooperation in this song. And that's what made it something unique to us anyway. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's what I love about it. And, 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 uh, and also it, it's very, um, the melody and, and the stuff that I sing is, is, it's very, um, it just uh, got out there. It just, uh, it's, uh, what's the way? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's I know. spontaneous, I guess. It's yeah. uh, in the moment. Yes, yes. And I must say, um, you know, I don't think even I have the words to articulate how I want to convey this, like this thought that I have about um, this song. But I felt like when I listened to it, and then I thought of the context of what I read about, like how the blue songs are supposed to be this exploration of singing more than anything else. I felt like with um, this song, I heard a sense of trust that you had in your voice. And what I mean by that is I've been fortunate to know singers over the years and people who sing different forms of music. And I feel, interestingly enough, with bands, even though it's very um, an emotive way of singing, it's almost very functional of like serving what the song needs. And I felt like with this, I could tell that the song, the instrumentation was in service to the voice as opposed to the other way around. Right. Yeah, I guess so. You're, you're, you're definitely right about the whole blue thing is that I, I've embraced my voice a lot more. And I think when writing this song, it was also, there wasn't much to go on. So I just had this freedom to just sing and um, let the song be in service of that. Mm. And um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, like uh, when I, uh, when you first responded and this is funny cause it's just audio, but I like when I get to do this for people listening, cause you were like nodding in agreement. And it's always nice to know that something connects in that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you could also not be lucky with that, I guess. Yeah, yeah true. Um, I do have a handful of questions left for you and I want to go back and ask about an older song. And we have talked about some older songs as well, which has been a big pleasure for me in talking to you. But, um, I would say that this is probably my favorite uh, the stat song, and that's Phoenix. And I feel like that's a song, I mean, to call it massive feels like an understatement because I feel like even with what you achieved on that song, it's full of emotion in terms of like the scale. And um, I would just love to hear about what it felt like to craft a song like this and what it did for you as a songwriter. Yeah, Phoenix is... Um... Yeah, it's one of a kind for me. I was really happy with that song. It was, uh, I remember when I was writing it, I only had the, um, uh, the verse part, the calm part, basically, you know, where I, where I sing and it builds up, but I didn't know where, where it should have, should go. I was kind of stuck and I remember playing it over and over again, like the verses uh, where I just sing. And at a certain point, I just grabbed the synthesizer and, and did the rah, that thing. <laughs> and, and then it all locked in. And I thought, ah, oh, this is what it should be. It should be dramatic. It should go to complete epicness of uh, huge proportions, if that's even possible. Um, apparently, it, uh, it was possible. So uh, I... Uh, <laughs> I um, yeah, it's it's kind of a nod to um, a lot of uh, film scores, where I noticed this later on actually, but there are quite a lot of films where they use the 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 tone who bends down, um, and and it works 
great dra dramatically um, really well. So this it's kind of an A B song where you have the A, which is the the really soft melodic part, and the B is, is the complete opposite, basically. Um, and 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 uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I don't I don't know what to say. I don't know what else to say about this. Well, I'll, I'll say this. It was really lovely at the top of that, how you said this is a song you like a lot and you're very proud of. Because I've, I've garnered this over my uh, 12 plus years of being around musicians and being in studios. Um, it's very rare for musicians to say that about their own music, rarer than I think people would recognize. So I think that's uh, the sentiment within that is very uh, powerful in itself. Yeah, the cool, the cool thing about when you have made enough music is that you can actually look back and kind of see what what are the high, highlights for me for myself where i'm still very excited about certain songs and realize that they have their own story and their own um identity you know what i mean it's um and when they still when they survive throughout the years it means it means more to me and phoenix is one of those songs and same goes for kitty kitty and uh, there's just some songs that really resonate still with me and that's why you make music, you know, because you want to make something that's for you. And and when you've made it, you can share it with other people who are like you. And um, and that's how it how it works. So I guess you're a little bit like me. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think that's why we've been yeah. able to connect as well as we have. Yeah. Yeah. Before we wrap, I do have to say, I mean, obviously, generally, thank you for taking the time to chat. I'm glad we got to do this, especially with having lived with your music for quite a while. Um, been a pleasure and um pleasure yeah. mine man oh cheers cheers man and you know we earlier we did talk about the element of the live show and i always like when we get to wrap up with that because i you know with the context of like lowlands and what i saw when you guys did um even the ziggo as well like um that weird kind of intimate well large but intimate live stream it's kind of interesting how there's just so much dedication put to that to the live element and I feel like the big understanding is that the music is best conveyed within that kind of context. And the band has toured Europe a lot, and I hope you make it to America again. But tell me, do you feel your view of your art has changed from experiencing how the live show can work, especially beyond um, the borders of Holland? Yeah, most definitely. I when we when we started out, it's just a natural progression, I guess. When you get the chance to play for a longer period of time you get the chance to evolve and um i just started to get more more and more interested in the mechanics of a of a live show and how, how people react and how they feel and what happens when you do this and if you do this at that moment would it make sense to do that later and when you have this much experience as we have right now you get a an extra like a sixth sense um for doing a show and it you can build on to that and that's that's so much fun to do that's just have, has become a new obsession for me you know we started out just wanting to play the songs and look cool on a stage you know and not worry about what it would sound like or who's doing the lights or whatever and then you play some more and you actually get to bring your own sound guy and at a certain point you get to think about hey why is the lighting pink in this song doesn't make any sense <laughs> and 
you get the chance to evolve. And now we're at the point that we have so many cool people around us and we get to dream a little bit more about doing shows. And, and I also love playing in other countries like, um, you know, when we play in, uh, let's say, Romania for the first time, obviously we then play a really small club. But then you have these constraints of the small stage. And I, I really love that because you get to think about what can we do with the space we do have. And yeah, I just, it's, just, it's just fun that way. Uh, and I think it's very important for us to keep, keep uh, a certain point on the horizon to look forward to and, and not um, do the same routine <laughs> over and over again. Uh, but also there's there's an art form in the, in that as well so yeah well i imagine uh this new project is gonna lend itself well to further evolving the live show just by the very nature of just like you know it's one thing to release uh three songs at once but then it's like how do we make them make sense in a live context so i mean you guys yeah really, yeah you have your work currently working on that it's it, it is indeed a, a puzzle man i <laughs> i don't have the answer <laughs> yet <laughs> Well, that's truly beautiful, man. And yeah, I'm so glad we got to do this. Truly, thanks again. Thank you so much for checking this out. Be sure to subscribe to The New Exchange via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you stream podcasts. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.